The following is a continuation in our series looking at how God uses us to help one another. We hope you enjoy. talking the past couple weeks about the whole dynamic of relationships, and we've been working through some topics from a book called Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer by Paul David Tripp, and tonight we're going to ask the question, how can we know others? There's a little bit of overlap between what we're talking about tonight and what Caroline talked about last week, but I hope this will be some good material for us. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for these students, and just ask that you would Use this as a time in the middle of their week where we can all just kind of settle down and just relax and spend some time in your word. So I just pray that you would work in us and help us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to open up tonight by talking about a guy named Sean Lawrence Waygood. He was a guy that seemed to be a typical man. He had a family with two kids. He had a stable and slightly boring job as an occupational health and safety advisor for an Australian freight company. And he lived a relatively normal, everyday life. But what his friends and family did not know is he actually had two separate lives. They didn't know that he actually had another job. One that was far more lucrative. One that was far more dangerous. Waygood actually had a nickname that was given to him by the police. He became known as the Merryweather Hitman. Because he would work at his job during the day. And at night, on several occasions, he would go and perform Murders for the local mafia. Unbeknownst to his family, unbeknownst to his children, he used his previous army training to carry out as many as up to nine or ten murders over a span of a couple years on behalf of a local mafia. When the police discovered his extracurricular activities, they searched his home and they found a large arsenal including many guns, 3,000 rounds of ammunition, rubber face masks, bulletproof vests, and badges and uniforms that would allow him to disguise himself as a number of several different police forces, both state and federal. And here's a guy who truly lived a double life. We hear that term all the time, like people living double lives. This guy was literally living a double life. I don't know what an occupational health and safety advisor does. I'm assuming it's a lot of tedious work, a lot of paperwork. And here he is murdering people at night for some extra income, right? And think about it. At his day job, he promotes health and safety, and at night, what does he promote? Death and destruction, okay? Truly living a double life. And the question is, how does stuff like this go unnoticed? How do his friends, how does his wife, how does his children, how do his co-workers not know what's going on? Okay, and the answer to that is actually rather complicated. Because in the human heart, we become so accustomed to creating different versions of ourselves where we can turn a certain part of ourselves on at certain times for certain people, and then we have this knack of turning it off for certain people. Writer Paul David Tripp describes this in saying, the most personal and important parts of our lives fly under the radar of our typical friendships. We live frantically busy lives with activity-based relationships, punctuated only by brief conversations with each other. So tonight, I want us to think about this question. I want us to think about how can we actually know other people? How can we know each other well enough to know if like, we're hitmen for the local mafia? Like, that, that's a pretty deep relationship. If, if you have that kind of knowledge of somebody, you really know them. But what I really want us to press in tonight is this. If you're taking notes, the heart of a person takes more than casual conversation to get to know. 
the heart of a person takes more than casual conversation to get to know. And that doesn't mean that casual conversations aren't important for us. We're actually going to spend a good portion of tonight talking about that. So we're going to talk about two different types of relationships. The casual relationships that we have and the importance of them, as well as the deeper conversation and the importance of those. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to 3 John 1, 13-15. Caleb's going to come up and read that for us. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. This phrase, we hear that and it just kind of glosses over us. We kind of treat it like this throwaway verse. Paul's just saying some nice things at the end of this letter. And it kind of seems out of place. He's just spoken about hospitality towards missionaries. He's talking about church discipline towards those that are causing division. And here he's saying, go out and greet some people. Right. And amongst that, he concludes that there is more that he would like to write. There's a lot more that he wants to say, but he actually just wants to meet with them and converse with them, catch up on life with them, have that general chit chat that you have by the water cooler at work or on the way to class at school. And he says, greet the friends each by name, which means he at least knows the people that he's talking to. He may not know them all at the same level, but he at least knows them by name. There's varying levels of what we would call friendships. It can range from an acquaintance, someone that you spend a little bit of time with and know a little bit of details about, all the way to deep, intimate friendships where people know you. They know the true you. And all of these relationships are important. Megan Hill, who is a writer, she writes for the Gospel Coalition. She says, it would be a mistake to conclude that just because a relationship isn't close, it isn't important. Our casual conversations that we have with people are actually very, very important for us. So what would your friendships be like? I want to ask this question. What would your friendships be like, and please raise your hand, if you only had best friends? If everybody that you knew was your best friend, what would life look like? Okay, yeah. It's exhausting, right? It's exhausting to go deep into conversation with people, right? And we need that every now and then. But if we do that all the time, mentally, spiritually, physically, it's going to exhaust us. And none of us have time for that. None of us have time. Ain't ain't nobody got time for that. None of us have time to spend in a best friend conversation with everybody in this room before we leave tonight. Again, you'd be exhausted with the intense conversations, the mental effort that it takes to stay in those conversations. That means we have to sustain all those friendships, too. It's hard. We can't do that. So the whole idea of acquaintances is actually a built-in thing for us. Like, we don't have to go deep and intimate in every conversation that we have. And it's important for us to have those casual conversations. It's good for our brains to have that break from that intentional depth of conversation and talk about the more mundane things like the sports or weather or whatever. Okay, These topics don't require a whole lot of mental strength. Yes, sports and weather can get people bent out of shape. But we can all at least have something to say about the topic where we don't have to, like, unload our soul to everybody. Okay, You can talk about the weather without telling everybody how you're truly doing. You can talk about sports without talking about the people that have hurt you that day. Okay, Hill continues when she writes, Social science identifies various categories of friendships and affirms that even our casual relationships play an important role in our well-being. These weak ties, middle ring relationships, or lighter relationships contribute to our sense of belonging, strengthen our communities, and increase our psychological happiness. 
These categories also describe many of our regular interactions, including some of our friendships in the church. So the simple idea of saying hello to somebody and not going deep in conversation is actually good for you. You need that. Despite how shallow the question, how are you, can be, and despite how shallow our answers can be, it's not necessarily a bad thing. They are necessary for human reaction. Okay, we're always going to have acquaintances. We're always going to have casual relationships. We're going to have more of those than close, intimate friends. Perhaps, even in this room, you would probably consider a lot of the people around you as acquaintances, and that's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you don't like them. It just means that you're not close with them. Okay, and going back to the Third John 1.15 passage, if we're to greet one another, it means we may not know each other well, but we can at least be cordial and kind and share the love of Christ with one another. Even in the simple act of just saying, hey, it's good to see you. She continues by saying, the practice of saying hello in the church is more important than we might suspect. First, we greet the friends with a simple smile and a word of welcome or a handshake in the better days. We affirm that we all belong together. Any friend of Christ is a friend of mine, we say. So we're all in this together, even if all we do is share in casual conversation. So we need those casual relationships. We need those simple conversations But sometimes they don't stay there, and sometimes they do get deeper, and sometimes we do get to know people better, and this is also good. And there's an importance to deeper conversation. So let's turn our attention to Hebrews 4. John's going to come up and read that for us. 15 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here we see Jesus as the great high priest. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Our typical experience of sympathy goes something like this. I'm so sorry for what this person is going through, and I'm also super thankful that I'm not going through it myself. That's kind of the way that we typically see sympathy. We feel pity for somebody. God bless your heart. Right? So sorry you're going through that. Okay? But the word sympathize in the Greek actually carries a much, much different meaning. I want to explain this to you because this is, this is actually super interesting. So the Greek term here means more than just being moved by pity or by compassion, while that's certainly part of it. What Paul means here is that sympathy is to be moved by what moves somebody else. I want to say that again. It means to be moved by what moves somebody else. And what this means is that Christ's sympathy for you as a human being, as he looks at your weaknesses, is so strong that your problems become his problems. That your hurt becomes his hurt. Your betrayal that you feel becomes his betrayal. That's what sympathy really means. It's entering into the emotion of the other person. And Caroline said this last week. I mean, this is... Stuff that we learned about last week. It's this deep, deep connection. Perhaps you have that kind of connection with somebody, and that's okay. That's great. That's wonderful. We need that. We need close friends who know us and are able to speak to our heart and be able to sympathize, to be moved by what moves us. But this takes time to get there. These kinds of relationships don't just happen overnight. They don't just appear. Like A best friend doesn't just drop on your doorstep and all of a sudden you know, everything about them, and they know everything about you. This takes cultivating. It takes an investment of data gathering over a long time of getting to know a person, uh, getting to know what irks them, getting to know what excites them, 
And the more we do that, the more we get to know who they are. We get to know their heart. All relationships are important, but these are vital to our mental and spiritual health. We need close friendships just as much as we need those casual ones. Okay? Anyone can ask us how we're doing, but it takes an invested person to ask that question and demand more than I'm fine. You know what I mean by that? Your friends can tell when you say I'm fine and they know you're really not fine. Okay? Your true friends, they can just sense it. I can see the way your face is hanging. I understand. I can feel like there's something wrong with you. Let's talk about that. An acquaintance doesn't really want to know the answer to that question, which is why they're satisfied with the I'm fine. That's why they say I'm fine and they move on. But one who truly desires to be moved by what moves you is doing what Jesus does for us. And in the same vein, a true friend sympathizes with struggle, is never satisfied with the status quo. But just as Jesus sympathizes with our struggle, he's never content to allow us to just stay put and be okay. He never wants to enter into our struggles and just say, you know what, it's, it's fine. You're okay. You don't need to change. You don't need to be transformed. Jesus calls us towards repentance and holiness, and this is something that he does with pretty much everybody that he comes into contact with. He's always calling them to better living, to a better life. His desire is for us to move towards him, towards that holiness and repentance. It's all too natural for us to simply go with the flow of life and hear about each other's struggles and not say anything because we don't want to make things weird or awkward with each other. But Jesus actually wants us to speak up. Jesus wants us to be vocal with one another. He wants us to truly know and thank God that Jesus never worries about making things weird or awkward. You ever notice that in the scriptures? He has no bones about ruffling feathers and stepping on people's toes. I want to close with an illustration from the book of John. It's a lengthy passage, but I want you to bear with me. We're going to be in John 4, 1 to 26. This is about Jesus when he approaches the woman at the well, the Samarian woman. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside that well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Get me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, Give me a drink, would you have asked him? And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and all of his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And this woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And for the Father is seeking such a people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So a couple things we see from this passage. We all need Jesus to do with us as He does with this woman. He's having a conversation with her. He strikes up the casualness, but He moves in deeper. And really speaks to her heart through word and prayer. He's really pressing in with this woman. He also provides people in our lives that do that for us. And we need those close relationships to keep us grounded. And too often, too often when we go through something hard or we're dealing with something that's super personal, we tend to isolate. But Jesus says that there's something better than isolation. Okay, we're really good at isolating. I'm really good at isolating. Okay. It's something that we naturally do. The heart of a person takes more than the casual conversations to get to know, but our Lord and Savior wants to get to know you. Like, I know we say stuff like this a lot in the church, but Jesus actually cares about you as a human being. Like, cares about your personality, cares about the things that you go through each and every day, cares about the simple, annoying things that happen at school to you. We tend to think like Jesus just doesn't have time for stuff like that. But because he truly sympathizes, because he's moved by, by what moves you, he really cares about you as an individual. He wants to sympathize with you, just like he sympathizes with this woman. Now, what this means for us, he wants us to do this for others. He wants us to be in relationships with others where we can sympathize and we can be moved by people. Okay? And this doesn't mean that like we just have to unload on each other all the time. That's what deep Friendships are for, not casual friendships. But there's a certain level of discernment. So a few helpful tools for us as we close out tonight. We entrust ourselves to people that know us and that we know. You probably wouldn't go up to a stranger okay, and say, please help me, I am struggling with anger. Okay? They'd look at you and be like, who are you and what are you talking about? Please go away. Okay? But if you go up to somebody who's maybe a mentor and you say, I'm really struggling with this and I need help, do you think they're going to be like, who are you and what are you talking to me for? No, they're going to want to lean in and help. Okay, This creates a safe space for us and a trusting person to listen to. Okay, We also entrust ourselves to those that are actually equipped and able to understand. This puts us in a place where we can actually receive help in helpful ways. Okay, someone who's 98 years old might not understand your technology addiction. Okay, so if you go up to them and say, I'm addicted to my phone, please help me. They may not be able to sympathize and understand, so maybe somebody who's maybe a little bit younger can help, but not too young. The same way that you wouldn't go to a five-year-old for relationship advice. You need to be poured into by people that actually understand and know the struggles that you're going through. Uh, y'all hear me talk about this all the time. Peer relationships are hugely important for you, but y'all need people that are even a little bit older than you and a lot older than you. Another thing is we also entrust ourselves to those that have relative control over the same hurts and struggles that we have. 
And this doesn't mean that we can never sympathize with each other through similar things, right? And, and please hear me say this. Those that have shared experiences are often the best at helping and sympathizing with others. But here's, here's what I mean by this. When someone is deeply embedded in something, they're probably not the best person to ask for advice on how to deal with that struggle. If you struggle with alcoholism and you go to somebody who's sitting at a bar and saying, I need your help fleeing from this struggle, they're not in a good place to help you. They may understand the struggle, but they're not in a good place to help with that struggle. If someone in your life struggles with the same things that you do and they don't even call it a struggle, that's also not helpful for us. If that person at the bar says, no, alcoholism is great, okay, and it's good and, and you don't need to flee from that, obviously something's wrong with that person and their worldview and they're not in a good place to help. Okay, They're not in a good position to help. Someone who is on fire and doesn't know that they're on fire should not tell you that you need to have your fire put out. They don't understand. They don't know. They don't even realize the danger that they're in. So we need to find people in our lives that have wisdom and love and who either by the grace of God don't have those same struggles or by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit's working in them and transforming them and helping them. That's how we truly get to know each other is by engaging in these deeper relationships. And again, those come through time. But the Lord graciously puts people in our lives to do this for us. And the more years I have under my belt, the more I appreciate stuff like this. Because life is hard, right? We go through all sorts of crazy stuff, okay? And there are types of people that get to know us deeply. And those are the relationships that we need to like really invest and spend a lot of time in because those are the ones that are going to speak truth to you. Those are the ones that can actually help us reflect on the grace of God in our lives because our job as believers is to promote the grace of God to each other and to promote the, the love of God to one another. We can do that through the casual conversations, but we do that best through these deeper, more intimate conversations. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more in our small groups, but let me pray for us and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening, I ask that you would please be with these students and help us all to just reflect on the wonder of your mercy for us, Lord. You forgive us of our sins, and we are so thankful for that. We don't deserve it. We pray that you would help us to always be in community with others, Lord, so that we don't isolate, so that we can actually talk about the difficult things and the hard things and, and even the simple things, Lord. So I pray that for each one of these students and ask that you would be with us tonight. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WYM.